0: Yesterday, my uh, uh, family got together and we celebrated my third daughter, um, Maggie, graduating from Christopher Newport University. Woo! All right, good, I have an audience here today that came from the Baptist, I'm so excited. First time i preached to a group of people in a long time, Uh, so I apologize immediately for all that you're gonna get. But uh, uh, we we got together and uh, even, uh, my uh, daughter and son in law and my granddaughter, Nora, got to come over and be with us and that was such a special time and uh, I got to hold little Nora, and that was so precious but really, what captured my attention was as we were gathered around and and uh, my daughter Elizabeth was holding her little baby girl in her arms and how content and how peaceful little Nora was because she was nestled in the grip of her mother. And as I was watching that and as I was thinking about uh, all kinds of different things um, about my life and about our family, um, about watching my wife hold each one of our four daughters just like that, and the security that those girls experienced in that moment. I, I thought about my parenting, and I, I don't know if you're a parent like I am, you make a lot of mistakes and a lot of missteps. Uh, there, there are a lot of things that I wish I could go back and undo, and I know we all feel that way. Um, but one thing about mothers that they get right, one thing about parenting that is right, is in that moment, When that little baby feels so secure in her mother's arms. And that's really what God desires for you and me. Every single day to find the security that he offers us nestled in his embrace. He wants you and me to experience the security that the psalmist talked about uh, in verse eight of chapter four. Psalm chapter four, verse eight. Uh, we're going to look at all of chapter four, but I, I want you to take note of verse eight. Here's, here's what the psalmist said. This is how he ended the psalm. He said, I will both lie down and sleep, uh, lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in, safely, in safety. Uh, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O oh Lord, make me dwell in safety there 's so much of our life uh, you if you 're out and about, some of you are still uh, stay at home people, and I get that, and I appreciate that and respect that some are more out and about. Now, all of us have to go to the grocery store at some point in time. But uh, you go through the seven cities of Hampton Roads, you see people with their face masks on. And, and again, I affirm that and I applaud that. But uh, the truth is, you walk around and you see people with face masks. That doesn't feel safe. It feels scary a little bit. And everything that we face in our life, and it doesn't have to be a pandemic, it can just be everyday life, Everything that we face in our life can threaten our security, can, can make us feel frightened and fearful. And the haunting tune of troubles can take hold our heart and we begin to be afraid. And that's where the psalmist was, David. He was in that place of of anxiety and fear. He was in that place of, of struggle and trouble. He was overwhelmed by despair and swallowed up by despondency, uh, all because the disappointments or the difficulties that he was facing. And that's where all of us are at different times. But I want you to know that today and every day, God longs for you to find security in his embrace, to feel safe and secure. And we can, uh, even though there are people that we encounter uh, and, and we ourselves at different times, we, we, we feel that sense of I am not secure and I don't feel safe. The troubles are louder than my peace and I am uh, I, I'm, I just don't know what to do. And when you go through the, those uh, dark nights of the soul, when things are overwhelming to you, you desperately need to have hope that you can be secure. And this psalm speaks to that need. It speaks to the need of every human heart. We need the security And that security comes from God. Listen to the psalmist. Let's read the whole psalm of Psalm chapter four. The psalmist begins, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Let me stop right there. That verb relieve, uh, you have relieved me. That verb relieve means you make room for me. Now, why did God need to make room for the psalmist? Well, it's what distress means. You've relieved me in my distress. That that noun distress uh, literally means to be captured in a vice grip of troubles surrounding you. Uh, there are troubles on every side and they're squeezing hope out of you. But God comes along and He makes room in that season of squeezing. Uh, He gives relief in the distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. That's verse one. Verse two. How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love emptiness and seek falsehood? But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly, The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry, or another word there, depending on your translation, is tremble. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart, on your bed, and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say who will show us any good. Lord, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. I will both lie down in peace and I will sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You know what the psalmist is talking about here? He's talking about the difference belonging to God makes in our life. I've said, and it's true, that, that God wants to hold you in his arms the way my daughter holds my granddaughter, the way my wife has held each one of our girls. God wants to hold you like that. He wants to bring you security and safety so that you can lie down in peace and sleep, so that you can have, verse 7, joy that's overflowing, but That only happens when you're part of God's family. It doesn't happen just for anyone. It happens when you're part of God's family. And again, I need for all of us to understand and clearly comprehend that there is a problem with me being part of God's family. There's a problem with you being part of God's family. The, the problem is we have sin, and that sin that you and I have, and all of us have it, all of us have lied at some point in time. All of us have, have, uh, have uh, spoken a word in anger at some point in time, all of us have done something that God didn't want us to do. We've broken the covenant or the promises or the desire or the design that God has. That's called sin. And because we're all guilty of sin, a holy God is separated from us. We're not part of God's family. Our sin has separated us from God. And there's not anything that you and I can do in our own strength or, or our own ability or our own good works that can bridge the distance that our sin has created between us and God. We're separated from God. There's no amount of religion There's no amount of of, uh, religious efforts. There's no amount of uh, doing a bunch of good to make up for the bad. Karma doesn't work in God's family. there, There is nothing that you and I can do in ourselves to bridge the distance that our sin has created. But God still longs to hold you in his arms and to bring you into his family and that's what Jesus is all about. You see, Psalm 4 makes sense only when you're part of God's family and the only way we can be part of God's family is through faith in Jesus. Now, here's what Jesus has done and here's who Jesus is. The Bible tells us that God sent Jesus uh, out of heaven's throne uh, to become a baby in Bethlehem at Christmas. And that is Jesus who is and always has been God became flesh and bone. Now why would Jesus leave the, the royal robes of, of heaven in order to take on the skin and walk in the sandals of a man so that he might fulfill everything that God requires on earth, so that he might be perfect, so that he might walk Perfectly in sync with the will of God. Now you and I have sinned and that has separated us from God. But Jesus, fully God, fully man, Jesus never sinned. Even though he was tested at every point even as we are, yet he never sinned. Now why did he do that? So that he might be the perfect sacrifice to bring forgiveness not to himself. He didn't need it so that he might bring forgiveness to people like you and me, sinners separated from God. And that's what the cross is about. You know, when we talk about the cross of Jesus, we're talking about Jesus dying on a cross, which he literally did 2,000-plus years ago in a place called Jerusalem right outside the city gates. He went to a cross, and he died not because he had sinned, not because he had done anything wrong. He died, he said, so that he might be a ransom, a payment for your sin and mine. Jesus died for my sin upon a cross in my place. His death on the cross was payment for my sin so that I might have a relationship with God. You see, the Bible tells us that there comes a point in time in every person's walk, every person's journey where they recognize that There is sin in my life, and that sin has separated me from God, and I can't fix it. And God, by his grace, points us to Jesus and what Jesus did on a cross. He died for us so that he might bring us into God's family. And so many of us who are watching and listening and here this morning we have experienced that new life that Jesus provides. Through his death and through his resurrection, he provides a new life. He brings a, builds a bridge so that we might be brought into God's family when we repent our sin, turn from this old way of doing life and trust in Jesus. When we look to Jesus as our only hope and we fall before him and say, Jesus, will you rescue me? Will you bring me into God's family? And God, by his grace, takes us by the hand and brings us into his family. He brings us up into his arms and he holds us close and he rescues us. And belonging to God, being part of his family, changes everything. We no longer have to live afraid of lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, now we can live secure each day of our lives. But here's what I know in my own life, my own journey, my own experience. There are days when the dark night of the soul captures me even as a follower of Christ. And there are seasons of suffering. And there are times of trouble. And there are days of difficulty and disappointment And they can wring hope out of my heart. And so, Psalm 4 teaches us how to live each day of our lives secure in God's care. How we can live securely and safely in God's care every single day that we live. Today, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of the tornado of difficulty and pain and sorrow and grief and hurt and disappointment that you're facing, no matter what it is, today, if you belong to God's family, he opens his arms to you and he invites you to curl up in his embrace. So how do we, how do we curl up in his embrace? What is it that this psalm, this psalm teaches us about living securely securely? How can we live each day in the security of God's care? That's really what verse 6 is asking. If you look at verse 6, There were people around the psalmist, and they were saying, "Uh, who will show us anything good? They were so captured, swallowed up by the vortex of their circumstances, they were so captured that they could not see that anything good was coming their way. Who can show us anything good? But look at the second part of verse 6 and verse 7. The Lord lift up the light of, Lord lift up the light of of your countenance upon us. You put gladness in my heart more than in the season that uh, that there is grain and wine increased. What the psalmist is saying is, yes, there are times when we ask, is there anything good? There are moments when people around us, is is anything good going to happen? Is it going to be one more bad news moment after the other? Is there anything good going to happen? Can anything good happen in my relationships? Can anything good happen in my work? Can anything good happen? The answer to that is yes. The, the the prayer, uh, the second part of verse six is, Lord, lift the light of Your countenance upon us. God, uh, shine Your face toward us. Oh God, will You? Turn the faucet of your favor upon us so that we can soak in your presence. That is where joy comes from. Even when we're squeezed tightly by the circumstances that we don't like, we can find joy. We can find peace. We can find sleep because we are in the presence of God and he is holding us close. And he's nourishing our soul with his presence. Now, that's where we end up. That's the answer to the question, can, we, can anything good come out of here? But how do we live by that every day? Well, we live uh, secure in God's grip of love. Uh, we, we live securely in God's care first when we turn to the God who takes what wrong, what's wrong and makes it right. We, we turn to the God who uh, takes uh, what's wrong and makes it right. And that's what the psalmist is talking about in verse 1. He said, he said hear me, O Lord. And then he adds this. He said, O oh God of my righteousness. Now, that's, that's certainly a title for God. Uh, but in the, in, in, in the language, it's, it's not just Jehovah Tzidkenu. It's Jehovah Tzidki. It's, it's God, you are my righteousness. God, you've taken what's wrong in me and around me and you've made it right. You take what's broken in me and you make it whole. You take what's broken around me and you make it whole. Uh, When we look at at our lives, I I can't help but think about those seasons in my life or in the life of my children when um, I fell and scraped my knee and my mom would call and say, Eric, what's wrong? I'd say, I, I fell and I, I, I scraped my knee. And she'd say, come here, honey. And she'd bring me up into her lap and she'd put a little Band-Aid on my knee and, and she'd kiss it. She'd say, there, all better. And there's something magical about a mama's kiss, isn't there? It wipes away the pain of that scrape. You know, it doesn't end when we're kids. I've watched my wife, the mother of my daughters, in those seasons when my girls had fallen and there are bruises on their soul. There are wounds in their heart. And they've cried out, I'm hurting I'm in need, and it's in those moments that their mother invites them to come and curl up in her embrace, and she kisses those hurt spots and says, there, it's all better. There's something magical about a mama's kiss. There's something powerful about the healing work of the living God On our soul. And like a mother who kisses hurts away, God literally takes away what has been shattered in us. And He does that not based upon what we've done. He does that based upon his mercy. Verse one, have mercy upon me, O Lord, and and hear my cry. And that that picture of God's mercy is a picture of his grace. And and his grace means that he looks upon us, not based upon what we've done, not not based upon how good we've been or or how less bad we've been. Uh, God responds to us based upon his character, based upon his faithfulness, based upon his loving heart. And he looks to us and he comes to us to us to bless us with his healing work and make whole what has been broken in us. I don't know what's broken in your world. I know what's broken in mine. And can I tell you that the only hope I have in this moment, my own brokenness, is to cry out to God and turn to him because he's the only one who can set right what's wrong. You want to find security? You want to lie down in peace and rest? Then turn to the God who sets right that which is wrong. The second thing that we see in this passage comes in verse 2. And In verse 2, the, the psalmist said, How long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness or, or emptiness and seek Falsehood. Oh, what's he saying there? Well, he turns his attention to his friends in the room. And he says, you need to refuse to chase empty things. Refusing to chase empty things. Like a mama warns her son or daughter, don't chase after that. It will lead you nowhere good. My, My mom has consistently called to check on me and warn me when she thinks I'm headed for trouble. I've watched my wife being the mother that she is with a heart of love for her children. When she sees them beginning to pursue worthlessness or buy into falsehood, she will step between her daughters and danger, and she will warn them, don't go down that path. Don't walk that path. It is empty. It will not satisfy. It will lead to disaster. In the same way, the psalmist warms us today. He says, you want to find security for your soul under God's care each day. Not only do we turn to the God who sets right that which is wrong, but we need to refuse the wrong outright. We need to refuse to walk down a path toward worthlessness. Now, what is worthlessness and falsehood in this context? Verse 2, worthlessness and falsehood. Worthlessness is the same word that the Old Testament uses for idol. It's whatever we exalt in our life, whether it's our emotions or a relationship or an ideology, it's whatever we exalt in our, or a feeling or or whatever, it's whatever we we look to in our life to medicate um, our emotions in the midst of chaos, amidst the tight place, whatever we use instead of God, that's an idol. Whatever we're turning to to give us satisfaction that's not God, that's worthlessness. Why? Because there is no relationship that can satisfy the soul. There is no ideology that can take hold of us and lead us to security. It is only God who can do that. Verse eight, you are O Lord, alone! Let me dwell in safety. It is only through relationship and connection with God that I find security. You want to find security today. It's not going to be found in all these other places, finances, emotions, a a job, a relationship. Those things may be good, and I'm not saying that they're necessarily bad. I'm just saying that they're worthless unless they're submitted to your relationship with God. We need to refuse to chase worthless things. Empty things. We turn to the God who sets right that which is wrong and we refuse to uh, chase empty things. And the third thing we see in this passage is we need to confess that God has set his love on you. Confess that God has set his love on you. Look at verse 3. And know, K-N-O-W, in the New King James Version, but know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. And in that little phrase, there's so much that we need to hear. The first is, but know, that term know means to confess or acknowledge, now, when everything's swirling around us and troubles are, 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 are at our door, when our emotions are out of whack and out of sync, in those moments, we need to begin with a confession. My God has set me apart for himself. Now, here it says that he sets the godly apart for himself, but that's who we are if we belong to him through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not because we're godly in, in terms of our own perfection. We're godly because we've been brought into God's family through faith in Christ. And so we have permission, we have access into the very presence of God. And by virtue of who we are, we can confess with absolute certainty, God has set his love on me. Um, from the time our girls were little babies, and whether they were colicky or teething or struggling or whatever it was, or, or just not tired, or just being uh, an infant, and they would cry and they would, they would, uh, uh, they would announce the, their displeasure with their situation, Edie began to do this. She would take them in her arms, and she would look down at them and she would sway with them and then she'd begin to sing mama loves you daddy loves you Grandma loves you papa loves you mama loves you daddy loves you Grandma loves you papa loves you and with the soothing song of her love for her daughter eventually those little girls would find their rest that's what the psalmist is saying See, God wants you in his arms. And in his arms, he wants to sing his song of love over you. He wants you and me to soak in the certainty of his abiding love, his tender love, his compassionate love. And he hears us crying and he answers with his love. Whatever it is you're going through today, listen. Be still and listen as God sings his love song over you. Look at verse four. He says, be angry or tremble and do not sin Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. What are we gonna meditate on? He's saying, meditate on this wondrous love where God has set us apart to be part of his family, where he's brought us up into his arms to nourish our soul with his love. He's saying, uh, he, he's saying uh, meditate on this love. Be still and think about this love. Friends, we are the object of God's love. And because we belong to him, We can have confidence that he will hear our cry and he will sing even stronger that song of love for you and me. If we would spend more time in the stillness of God's presence, we would find more contentment in the security he provides. If we would spend more time in the stillness of God's presence, we would begin to understand how that his love gives us courage even in the raging circumstances that we face. If we would spend more time in the stillness of God's presence, then we would taste more fully the hope of his securing love. How can we live secure in God's embrace each day? Turn to the God who sets right what is wrong. Refuse to chase empty things. Confess that God has set his love on you. Listen to his song of love. And then trust the Lord in a lifestyle of worship. Uh, Again, look at the beginning of verse 4. It says, be angry and do not sin, or tremble and do not sin. Whatever the psalmist meant there, he did mean one thing for sure, is that we must live a life of obedience to God, that there is one sure way to feel insecure, and that is to disobey God. And go down in verse, uh, uh, verse five. He says, offer sacrifices of righteousness. Now, offering sacrifices of righteousness, offering the right kind of sacrifices. He's talking about worship here. Worship has different angles, but two specific angles that it has. It includes the songs we sing and the prayers we pray. It, 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 that, that's one aspect of worship. It's, it's where we, we, we sing praise to God and we say our prayer to God. That's one aspect of worship. But the other aspect of worship is more comprehensive and more consistent, consistency in our everyday life. It's not just saying words uh, or singing words. It's actually living a life of obedience, sin not. It's living a lifestyle of obedience. It's what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 12. He said, He said, therefore I beg you by the mercies of God that you present yourselves a living sacrifice which is your reasonable service of worship and do not be conformed any longer to the mold of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove that which is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. A living sacrifice, that means that we are to live each day sacrificially uh, conforming our lives to who God wants us to be, and to live a lifestyle of obedience. Worship is not worship if it doesn't lead to a lifestyle of obeying God. And if we want to experience the full flavor of God's favor in our everyday life, if we want to experience joy in our heart, a joy that is greater than the joy that anyone could have during harvest time. If we want to have the peace that leads to peaceful rest, if we want to be secure, then we must trust the Lord with our everyday lives and commit our everyday lives in trust to the Lord. We must worship him with a lifestyle of obedience. There is no mother I know. I'm sure they're out there, but there is no mother I know, and there's never been a mother in my life that did not want the absolute best for her children. There's not a mother I know that doesn't desperately desire for her children to experience security even when storms arise and the thunder rolls and the lightning flashes. I'm thankful that my mom was that kind of mother to me. And in her nurturing embrace, I was secure. And I'm thankful that my wife is that kind of mother to our daughters. And in her nurturing embrace, they are secure. And I'm so glad that my granddaughter has found that in the arms of her mother, my daughter. And in her embrace, Nora is secure. The good news about God is that he wants to bring good news to you. And he invites you to curl up in his embrace, to lie down in peace, to rest, to be secure. So how can you move from here to hope, If you're here today and you have yet to embrace Jesus as Savior and King, if you've not yet crossed that line of faith to become a follower of Jesus Christ, the first step to security in this life and in eternity is to set your faith on Jesus. Now what that means is that you know that what you've done in your life is not sufficient to bring you into God's family and there's nothing you can do in your life to make you Sufficient to be part of God's family. That's just a confession and admission that we all must make that our sin has separated us from God. But it is also an acknowledgement that God loves you and that He sent Jesus to rescue you, to build a bridge between you, a sinner, and God who is holy. You see that Jesus died in your place for your sin on a cross. And through his death and resurrection, you can have a new life. And you depend upon Jesus and Jesus alone to make you right with God and to bring you in God's family. Now, if that's your heart's desire, if that's the longing of your soul today, and you're in within the sound of my voice, I want to invite you to cross the line of faith, to repent, turn from your sin, turn away from this way of life, separated from God, and trust in Jesus, who alone can bring you into a relationship with God. To turn from your sin and to trust in Jesus. The Bible says that whoever receives Jesus, whoever believes on him, that he gives them the right, the authority and the power to be part of God's family. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is our Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then we can be rescued. So, today, if that is your heart's desire, I invite you to cry out to God in prayer. And I'll lead you in a prayer. And there's nothing magical about the words that I'm saying, the words don't save you, it's the yearning of your heart. And what God is doing to opening up, open up the eyes of your heart, open up your eyes to see your need of Jesus. And if you're here today and you see your need of Jesus and you believe that he can rescue you today, then you're ready to turn from your sin and to trust in him. And the prayer that I lead in is simply an expression of that desire. So if you're longing to cross the line of faith right now, I invite you to pray this prayer with me. oh God, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and my sin has separated me from you. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that you sent him to rescue a sinner just like me. I believe that he is fully God but he became a man so that he might die on a cross in my place to forgive my sin. I believe that he was raised from the dead to give me a new life. So today I trust in Jesus and I pray, oh God, that you would forgive my sin because of what Jesus has done. And I pray that you would give me a new life because of what Jesus has done. I pray, oh God, that right now you would bring me into your family. Thank you for rescuing me. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. If that was the prayer of your heart, I invite you to let us know so that we can talk with you further about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You saw the family earlier baptized, that was an expression of what God had already done in their heart to bring them into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Today, we wanna help you on that journey of not being baptized necessarily, but certainly of becoming uh, a more faithful follower of Jesus. So today, if, if you prayed that prayer, text, the number text Jesus, J E S U S, to the number on the screen, and or you can email me at pastor at firstnorfolk.org and just let us know that you prayed this prayer and you want us to follow up with you in some way. Today, God has given us the opportunity to walk through the turmoil and the trouble and the difficulties of life. Secure and safe. So turn to the God who sets right what is wrong. Refuse to chase empty things. Confess that God's love has been set on you and trust God in a lifestyle of worship and obedience. Oh God, in these moments as we respond to you and continue to respond to you Uh, through prayer and praise. I pray, oh God, that you would encourage our hearts, that we would rejoice in what you have done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.